Hello and welcome to the King Heroes Journey podcast. My name is Beth Martins. I'm so excited to talk to Daniel David. I am today. I'm excited for all my guests, but there's certain subjects that are just really, you know, hot on my topic list. And uh, and Daniel's got a whole bunch of that stuff going on. He's just in the waiting room right now, getting a little technical thing uh, handled. I'm going to start Rockfin and say hello to Paul. Voice of Reason is here. Nice to see you. I'm glad you got introduced. I actually. Um, we connected with someone on Facebook who was friends of uh, of both of us, or not friends, but fans of both of us. I don't like to talk about fans so much, but you know that's a word we have. I'm going to start up with Rockfin, and let's see. Are you ready? Hello, Flat Smack Biblical. Nice to see you, <laughs> Beth. Live. Excited to see you too. That's awesome. And uh, let's see, Rockfin. Come on, let's go. And I'll shoot you guys the link. We were just debating on whether to share some of Daniel's music here on the stream. And it can be dicey because I'm on strike two out of three on, on Rockfin, or pardon me, on YouTube, and they will kill my channel for another strike. So um, so Daniel, whenever you feel ready, you can it's still it's still weird. Yeah. So we won't worry about it. It's just a just an orientation thing we were trying to figure out, but it's not a problem. So here comes Daniel. Hey. Hello, Daniel. Welcome. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So great to have you here. It is uh, always takes a few minutes for people to come on. Um, I do have a big long list of announcements. Should I do it now? And uh, and then that'll give people a chance to come and they'll hear that on the recording as well. And so, yeah, before we jump into the uh, amazing music, and it's not, by the way, we're not just talking music today. That it, Say that was the only thing that I discovered about you. I would still enjoy your music. But what really drew me into wanting to get to know you and uh, maybe hang out in Nicaragua sometime was your whole story, where you've come from, how everything has evolved, your views. Um, you do hold what I would call to be you know, somewhat controversial views in the Christian world. You might even be controversial to the New Age world. And uh, so I definitely want to get into that juxtaposition. I feel like I'm in uh, the same thing and uh, Flat Smack thinks you're pretty. That's nice. <laughs> That's so funny. So before we get into that, I wanted to let you guys know, I did promise uh, this when I sent out an email yesterday, this morning, I guess, that uh, the applications to my Journey Code coaching certification are now open. This is the fifth round I'm going to run since the pandemic began. This, it, the pandemic inspired me to create, create, and create some more because otherwise it was just going to be despair, despair, and despair some more. So I chose creation. And uh, so the next round of learning to coach with archetypes and the deprogramming tools that have become my go-to in, in my um, world, helping people and helping myself, of course, is coming up on September 13 is going to be the beginning. It's got an early bird until July 31st. And I'm now taking applications for people to speak with me one-on-one. -on -one. And I'm going to share a link in the chat here for anybody that wants to take me up on that. If for some reason you missed the chat, you can just reach out beth at bethmartins.com. There are limited spots for that because my calendar only has so many uh, openings, but <clears throat> I hope you get one. I'm also going to do an open house about that. And that has uh, that application link has all the link or has a link to the details of the training itself that goes for seven months. People are utterly transformed in this training. It's amazing. They are the bravest people I ever work with, willing to look at themselves and go through the fire of uh, the internal threats that are really programming. It should never hold you back. Hello, Michelle Moen. Nice to see you. 
so I'm on a podcast out of Poland coming up in July, which I found really fun because I have Polish roots. I'll share more details about that. Also, Soul Shine Festival, which is some, that, something that, uh, Daniel, if you ever make it to Canada and can break that barrier, that would be so perfect for you. It's been kind of, uh, I'll say, co-opted, but in a really good way by the freedom movement. It's been a place for people to come together over the last uh, three years. And I'm very honored to be uh, headlining, they tell me, at the festival this year. So both with uh, a talk about archetypes and deprogramming and my music. So that'll be really fun. Yeah, super good. Uh, that's the September. Yeah, and it sells out. So if anybody's really interested, I know I have a little crew coming with their uh, RV uh, trail. So that'll be really fun. You might want to look into it sooner than later. And uh, coming up in the House of Free Will, which is my private domain ministry, David Manal is going to be speaking on, dare I say, flat earth. Is that going to get me flagged here? I don't know. F.E. And uh, he is a totally passionate activist. He literally takes to the streets in Europe where he lives and works and, uh, and, and talks to anybody who will listen about the subject. Super, super great. He's Trinity Four on YouTube if you haven't seen him. And uh, I think that'll be a lot of fun because I don't know a lot about that. I just intuitively know this ain't a ball. Uh, ben Balderson is coming on to talk about cell salts on Thursday, July 20, 1230. So I'm pretty excited about that. John Logan, yeah, John Logan Coots is going to be doing a workshop on homeschooling just in time for the parents who have angst about putting their children back in that system. I know yeah, I would. You got, it, you got it going on. You got everything. Got a lot. Got a lot. Yeah, I go in spurts. I've been on a spurt. And uh, and then one last thing, Lisa Marie Reddle will be back on the King Hero's journey. She's been brave enough to let me coach her publicly for the benefit of others and also her mm. benefit. She's going through a crazy, they're being sued by somebody that really should just get the ass sued right off of them. And uh, so it's going to help her with the whole layer of stuff that's invisible that can unfortunately draw in what you don't want. You're coaching her when she comes on? Yes. Yes, we did it once before. Major experiment for me. I had never done that before. I was, uh, it was outside my comfort zone, let's say. She did amazing. I didn't know how it was going to go real spontaneous. I know you're familiar with things just coming through you in the moment. And, uh, and then she decided she would do it any time that I, I, was, I was willing. Awesome. So, yeah. So it helps other people to see because it can be mysterious. Like what a deprogramming is like some, you know, really woo woo kind of thing. It's not at all. That's a really good way, though, of, of breaking that mystery and that stigma for potential clients of yours. You know, what I mean, just giving them obviously it's not one dimensional, but giving them a glimpse into what it could be like. Exactly, exactly. And when people hear, you know, emotional work, they think about people like screaming and punching pillows you know, or that you're going to just like lose it and lo lose control of your emotions. And, you know, there, there might be a 0.01% that somebody does go off the rails, but I could go a whole year without ever seeing that because it's not about that. Your, your inner experience, the emotions, the feelings, the, the thoughts, the sensations and the programming to me are all doors created by God deliberately. They all lead to freedom yeah. Every, every single high, low. That's why I'm not a frequency person that is all about, oh, raise your raise your vibe. To me, the purpose to raise your vibe is so you can repent and change your ways and, and do more of, of God's work and be more like Christ. 
And so that's probably a good segue into our conversation, Daniel David. I'm so excited again to, to have you here because I listened to your music for an entire year. It came at me, you know. For, oh, for really? My, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, yeah. So so my friend, uh, Cam Henderson, I hope he shows up. He, he knows that we're doing this. He's excited. I went, I went and peeped him out yesterday because he commented on one of your posts. I was like, oh, yeah, I do kind of remember him. Oh, good. Oh, good. That's it's great. That's great. Yeah. And, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but you know, for him, it's just a playlist and it's just music. And he, he listens all the time where I had been starved for music for the, the whole pandemic, because I really started tuning into how dark the vibe is and all of the subliminal and, and, you know, like, uh, you know, Leonard Cohen's uh, dark song, darker, like you want it darker. And I'm just like, I don't want it darker. I just don't, I don't need that medicine anymore. It's taught me what I, what I already need. God bless Leonard Cohen anyway. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and yeah, so then, then your music comes on the scene. I also tuned in with Austin French. I don't know if you know him, young mm -hmm. guy, you might like him. He's, you know, I'm a, I'm a music snob. I just want to say it, it's hard to, uh, a little harder to, to, to uh, satisfy. I can't just listen to anything. Uh, if it's crappy music, if it's really very beautiful tone and in, in, in the voice, then I can get past crappy music, but, and then the message, right. If we're singing to all the, the uh, idols and and turning that into an idol that's another thing that maybe we could talk about a lot is uh you know how the chosen for example turn that actor into jesus and it, you know so tempting or not so, so so tempting but the result is that i have him in mind rather than jesus mm. and then you know so you then you get in you're crossing those lines around uh around idols and that kind of thing and oh, the weaker thuns. I haven't heard of them. They're a Winnipeg band. Someone's just pointing out. I haven't heard of them for a long time. And uh, yeah, so oh, Scott Lights. I wonder if you know Daniel already. What's up, brother? So I know. Cool. Yeah, I know Scott. You know, Scott. We go way back. Oh, amazing. Amazing. Scott's one of the coaches that did the Journey Code. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I remember when he was getting into coaching and stuff a couple years back. That's cool. Right. Amazing. <laughs> there we go. I love that. Synchronicities abound. And so, Danielle, do you want to uh, tell us where have you come from? How did you get to this point in your life? How are you uh, running retreats in Nicaragua? I know you have a family of uh, four children and a beautiful wife, Kayla. Shout out to Kayla. And uh, yeah, you've been through a lot in your life. So I'm really interested to hear. Yeah. Well, I, I was born into a form of... Western American Christianity. My grandparents were immigrants from Ireland. They were drunks, you know, um, hereditary thing, you know, passed down. Um, and they wound up getting, uh, they moved to the States when my mom was four. They wound up going to AA in New York City. And in those, in that era, um, there was a movement going on called the charismatic movement was happening within Roman Catholicism, which meant, you know, it wasn't just the, the empty rituals and stuff, but there was actually a move of the Holy Spirit that started happening, moving through the Catholic church and people were getting speaking in tongues. They were opening up to um, gifts of the spirit, just stuff was starting to break out. And, it was freaking people out. So they, instead of just cutting it off completely, they started putting people in the basements and letting them hold meetings and have gatherings and stuff. But it was kind of this thing that they tried to keep in a box. And uh, 
they had an AA meeting and my grandparents got saved at an AA meeting in this charismatic movement in the basement of a church or something. And uh, so my grandfather, he became this radical evangelist, prophet, pastor, whatever. And it's really so funny because you know that thing, you know, like movies, it's like, if you know your future and some particular event supposedly is going to happen, no matter how much they try to prevent the thing or stop it from happening, there's always some way it just comes back around, right? So my thing is the opposite. It's like, I know the past. I know my family line and where I come from. And what I'll get to in a second is some, some bad stuff that happened. And no matter how much I try to live my life, not really having any bearing on anybody else, there's so many parallels between me and my grandfather's life and that I'm always like very careful not to, you know, to be aware to not fall into the same pitfalls and stuff. But long story short, he was a very radical guy. He uh, quickly into the supernatural, prophetic and, and charismatic guy um, started churches and stuff. And started this one church in New York uh, when I was born, I was born into this church and they had, you know, so much stuff going on and people were passionate, selling all they had to give to the poor, um, people pitching in money to buy land together, to live on land together. And long story short, the problem was what's the traditional problem with most churches is they made somebody the man of God. So they all put all their faith in this one man and they followed this one man and they elevated this one man to be the oracle of God or the prophet to tell them what God's doing or what we should all do. And at a certain point in time, he wound up falling into adultery with someone in the church and some, you know, just different little things that was going on. And when it came out, it devastated everybody. Broke families apart, just shattered, shattered people's lives. Um, in part, you know, he had his part to play and in part, it was partially their fault too, because we should never elevate somebody to that place where we're relying on them to be perfect for us. Um, but long story short, so I was born into, cause even some this year, like I've been doing some of the shadow work and getting down deeper into my past in areas that have been blocked off my whole life. You know, my most, most of my childhood up until about a year ago was just sealed up. And uh, over the course of the last year, year and a half, I've got to this place of me at about seven years old, multiple, multiple times and just uh, opened up some memories and was able to release some things to rewrite some memories and stuff. But I haven't got too far back beyond that. And uh, recently I started asking God, I'm like, what, what's back there past that wall? You know, like what's past that wall and why why you know have some of these dynamics played out and, and what i what i believe is because i was born into this experience where i was immersed in a culture that was all about supernatural it was about prophetic it was about heaven it was about all this stuff but then at maybe about four or five i don't know the age but that's when all that stuff happened and it exploded and my parents out of protection you know they pulled back from all of that and they was like, we don't, we don't want anything to do with that or need anything to do with that. But let's just go to a church where they just read the Bible. So at some point in time, maybe like a four years of age, 
moving forward for a long time, I wasn't really around much where people were talking about supernatural, talking about gifts of the spirit, talking about mystical, any of that stuff, but it was already implanted somewhere deep down inside me that I knew it was. So I've never fit into this society. I've always rejected everything that I felt I was being pushed towards or prepped for. I've literally, you know, like regular job, like going to work, clocking in like regular job stuff. I probably worked, I don't know, three years in my life, you know, I'm about to be 42. And I've just always, <laughs> whether it was my younger years and being a flopping house to house and being a partier and just being a rebel, or if it was later being a missionary or whatever, I just, I've never fit into the mold of what I was told. This is normal life reality. Just never sat well with me. But I think that that had a lot to play with it because I was born into a very radical, it wound up becoming cult, cultish, you know, but it was a very radical um, lens for reality. And so, um, so then throughout the years, either we didn't go to church or sometimes we would go to like, you know, just a little Baptist church or just almost like walking through the motions, I think so that my parents you know, didn't feel guilty that it wasn't taking the kids to church or something like that. There's really not much to it. Um, but I, even now I run into friends sometimes that was close with me when I was 18, 19, 20. I was in the streets. I was addicted to meth in and out of jail. And they would tell me, dude, you always said you were going to do what you're doing right now. Even back then, even when we were high as a kite, you was always saying you were going to do this. You said you were going to change the world. You said you were going to help kids. You was always, you was talking about God. You was always, and I don't even remember those things sometimes, you know, and I was like, really? Wow. So what I, what I believe is, because I took on so many doctrines. I took on, took on so many doctrines over the years that you, you just. Someone's trying hard to reach Daniel. <laughs> I'm sure he'll be back. Can you see me? Now we can. Yes. My wife was trying to call me. Okay. Um, you wind up trading out reality and believing the doctrines wholeheartedly. And then sometimes years later, you're looking back and you're like, oh, wait, that was, that was never true. You know? And so yeah. I, know, I, know, I know we have a lot of Christian ideas and, and doctrines and stuff. But me, I've always, as long as I can remember, I've always had a conception of Jesus and God because I was born into that culture. So I've always had a concept of Jesus and God, even though I was jacked up. I mean, I was inundated with end times theology, rapture theology, you know, angry, wrathful God, destruct the world's going to be destroyed, all that terrorized by that stuff as a kid. Yeah. Um, but now looking back, I really believe like, I've just always been, this person. I've always been who I am. Like whatever my makeup is, my personality, my type, my archetype, whatever it is, like I've never not been this person. I do lives every day. It's no problem for me to just talk, you know, in front of a group of people. I was five years old in kindergarten, standing up, being a class clown, telling jokes, getting everybody laughing. I've just always been who I am. And uh, and I'm really, really embracing that now, like in this season of my life. Because, you know, the tr traditional Christian paradigm is like, there was nothing good about you until you accepted Jesus. 
You know, there was nothing, oh, filthy, your righteousness is filthy rags. And there was, God, I would literally remember thinking like these, like whether they were verses or people was telling me this, that God can't even look at you because of your sin. God can't even look at sin, can't even be in his presence. Meanwhile, Jesus is hanging out with whores and prostitutes and drunks, you know, sitting there not judging them. And then we say Jesus is God. But then we say these things about the God that we believe in our own understanding. That's the opposite of Jesus. So it's like weird, confusing contradiction to grow up in, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but it's so awesome because, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know a lot about uh, astrology and stuff, but I know that there's this one uh, term and it's called uh, your Saturn's return or something mm -hmm. like that. And it's later in your life when you pass, I think, 27 years, 30 years old. But it's about like coming back, coming back around and revisiting, right? Stuff that you've already walked through, you've already lived through, but you're in a different place yeah. and you're in a different state of consciousness. And so you can look at those exact same things from a totally different point of view. And, uh, and that's what this journey is all about. It's about reconciling all things unto Christ. All, like you said, like, like even all the pain points, all the triggers, all, all the stuff that you got to work through, like it's all good and it's all for your good and it's all for glory. It's all to release glory because if you can get over the fear to look back at the past and be bold and step into it, if you don't step into it, there's no value to it. Mm. All the pain, all the stuff that you've lived out, there's, it's, there's no benefit of it to you if you're too afraid to even look at it or deal with it you want to ignore it and run from it and hide from it and act like it's not there stuff it down there's literally no benefit you're going to get out of it but as soon as you have the courage to go into it with god with christ you know to go into it with the truth and allow god to navigate you through it and teach you from it and show you you transmute all of it into glory because it becomes wisdom that you can then turn around and multiply it. And because of what I walked through as one man, I can share my testimony with 10 or 100 who are in the same boat and help them and help them heal and save them time. And, and they don't have to experience some of the stuff that I did. Well, that's pretty freaking awesome. That's pretty know. cool, you know? <laughs> that, I mean, that's exactly it. And um, people will kind of twist that too and go, oh, well, it was all meant to be that you went through that horrendous thing and you made all those horrendous mistakes. And I totally don't believe that. It's not, it's not, it's just what you said. It's not a value until you allow yourself to, to relook and refeel. That's the big, that's the big thing. Cause you can think about, but you never actually touch down with the pain in it. And, and then you never do see the pain is actually in your favor. It's about your freedom. It's pushing you to that point where you, you know, whatever it, it takes, change your ways, release the, the feelings, let that stuck energy turn into the free energy that it really is. And, and that free energy works miracles. I, I see that all the time. People brave enough to face their past and release, they can work incredible things around them without trying to manifest and wield and, you know, be powerful. It's just, it's just in their humble healing they turn the ugly into something beautiful and powerful yeah. and of value. Yeah. Great point. Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful.
Yeah, I love that. It's not as common to talk to people who necessarily can understand these fine, these fine points. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's just surface level. I just wanted to lay that foundation as far as like my journey with the language of Christianity, you know, and the concepts of, um, you know, because we can go any direction you want to go. And I've explored everywhere that you can look. But my anchor and my foundation is the Bible, Jesus, the Christ in me. And um, it's evolved a lot over the years from season to season to season to season. Um, it's so crazy because you use the same language. It's the exact same language, but you keep changing your definitions or the revelation of, of what that means to you. And um, I think that, that's like one of my favorite subjects that I really like uh, revelate on and expound on is language and words and how your whole experience of life is literally dictated by the words you choose to use, what you call everything. And that's one of the first stories in the Bible when God placed uh, the man in the garden, says he walked around and he named everything and whatever he called it is what it was. And we look at these stories, once again, Paul says that the letter of the law is death, but the spirit of his life. So if you read the Bible as this literal story, just just a literal story about other literal people in some other literal place in some other literal time, you miss the you miss the um, the reflection point or the what's the word I want to use? You miss the not resonance relevance you miss the relevance of yourself but it's really revealing principles to you so that each each character is revealing some type of principle that exists inside of you because everything exists inside of you because christ exists inside of you and all things are in christ so every character is inside of you so when it shows adam he was placed in the garden and he walked around and he named everything and whatever he called it is what it was called that is the part of you that is analyzing the world, interpreting it and giving meaning to it. And you're putting names on it. You're judging it and you're labeling it. And whatever you say, one of my favorite verses in the Bible says, whatsoever man thinks in his heart, so shall it be, or so is he. You name it, you give it the meaning, you give it the definition. And that's so powerful because whoo, when you get that realization, you have to take full accountability you have to take full accountability because nobody else has any power over you or to make you feel or do anything. Now we can give that, we can blame that, right? Whether, whether we do that with a boogeyman, like the devil made me do it, Satan's attacking me. You are giving some type of power, attributing some type of power over you that can make you do something because you're deciding to say that. doesn't mean it's the truth, but you're deciding to conclude that and you're giving power to an idea to a concept but we do that the same thing with it's because my mom didn't never love me it's because this it's because that and we're naming it we're saying we are laying we are establishing the parameters of our life and our experience every time we decide what it's going to be what it is who they are we are creating our own individualized you know um personal world and with your experience and i'm not it's so obvious. And that the last three years has made it even more obvious because everybody went through it in their own way. Some people were devastated and it was just one loss after the other. 
some faced losses and use that as a catapult to to get to a new level of strength and and uh, resilience inside themselves. I have, you know, uh, one of my coaches, uh, she was off the charts, like just, you know, ended up getting married and a new business and like skydiving and all this, like she was just having the joy of her life. And uh, I look at you doing pretty good, right? So there is a lot of choice in there. I also just wanted to reflect about how words, you know, there was, there came a point where I was struggling about being financially independent. It was something like, I didn't, I didn't want it. I wanted someone to look after me. Like, where's my family? Where's the, where are these people that just show up and, and, and support me? And I, in, in working my way through it, I decided I was never again going to speak to a lack of money ever. I didn't care who it was, or I didn't care how much evidence it seemed that I lacked. I never again said it. And at this little story, when my mom was passing away, I brought a supper and um, she took out her checkbook. She wanted to pay for supper. Now, okay, mom. And so she writes me a check for a thousand dollars. And I'm like, mom, it wasn't that much. And, uh, and then she goes, you don't ask for anything. And to me, that was like an amazing affirmation that some people think I lost, like I should have asked them for a lot more and I'd have more or whatever. My sister got the car, <laughs> I don't know. But, it, but I was left with a sense of like capability that, that when I'm here, you know, and tasked to care for myself and my son and the life around me, then I don't have any more fear of that, right? Like I'm, I'm solid because I never again spoke to the lack and, and God affirmed that with abundance, doesn't mean there haven't been tough times, but I always like, mm, I'm not, I'm not going to tell anybody I'm struggling. I'm just going to do what I need to do to right. get to the next place. Right. Cause there, it's so interesting. There's always another word that you can use that changes the feeling of the situation, right? You can acknowledge maybe I would enjoy a little bit more or whatever, but you, but just by changing the words that you put on it, it changes the, the emotion that it that it carries or that it causes or triggers or whatever. I wanted to say one other thing when you was bringing up. Um, we got to use code words, right? So yeah, wh whatever the. I don't know what words we're allowed to say, but whatever, whatever the the big break that everybody had to take. Um, a, another good example of that is uh, like church. What happened to the church, right? Yes. Everybody was used to being able to gather every week on Sundays and all that, and then. And then when it stopped, there was a big fuss and there was a big buzz like we we were supposed to be able to gather and all that. And I believe in that because like, I'm all for nobody having authority over us. Right. But you got to look at what is the spirit using things to do to shake things up and stir things up. A lot of people go to church and walk through the motions and they come every Sunday and they sit in the same pew and they you know, they're coming, they're doing these things that that's their routine. That's what they're supposed to do. And so when they stopped people from being able to gather, you had some that was just complaining about it. And you had some, you had a lot of other people that actually were forced to really examine their own relationship with God and how deep was it and to go deeper in their being alone with God. And a lot of people stepped into a whole new realm or dimension in their relationship with the divine or with spirit and, and opened in and opened up to new languages and stuff that before was weird. I mean, so many people um, before 
you know, we've talked about like new age language and frequency and vibration and energy and simple stuff like that. There would be so many walls up with so many people. And it's funny because of eventually it being undeniable that there were some agendas going on, that there was some funny business going on. It was almost like that was necessary to allow people to question for the first time, because I'll never forget the first time I ever watched you know, this documentary, I think we talked about it and I didn't know anything about anything. I only knew what I was told church and government. And this movie made me really question the government, false flag attacks, the federal reserve and the financial system and all this. And I was like, what? And it made me realize I don't know anything. I, I, I thought I knew something. I thought I understood life. I don't know anything. And once you have that moment, you're willing to ask the rest of the questions like what else is not what I thought. That's right. What else? And so whatever it takes to get you to that point, is it good and evil? Right? So it's that, that's the whole crazy thing is, you know, the story about eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil is polarizing everything and thinking you could just look at it and judge it from the surface level and say, Oh, it's this or it's that as if it's just a one dimensional thing. And so even though, yes, there, there's some negative stuff, right? Things that we don't like about what happened and unfolded and encroaching upon rights and freedoms and, you know, changing stuff up. And, but at the same time, if, it's, if it, it had to be so overboard to get people's attention in an undeniable way to say, hold up, what the heck is going on here? Because if it was even a little bit less than that, People would have still kept excusing and looking the other way and letting them get away with so much stuff. So sometimes, you know, you might not see God in something and you might swear absolutely, this, this is so evil, satanic, God's not in this, but it's like, hey, God uses, God can move through all things. God can use anything going on. Nothing can stop his agenda. You know what it even says about Jesus? It says, if the princes of this world knew what he was up to, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. He tricked them and trapped them and they thought they had a scheme and they had a plot and they was going to take him out. But he already told his friends, no man can take my life, but I'll lay it down and I'll pick it up again. Jesus came to reveal life and immortality and he had to prove it. Anybody could talk, but he literally had to prove it. And so in order to prove it, Somebody had to kill him so he could get back up again. And it says if they knew that he was up to that, they wouldn't have never even put him on the cross. So the thing is, man in his wiling, scheming thing can have plots and plans and agendas and think they know what they're doing, going to get away. But you, they, they have no capacity to understand the divine mind, which is omniscient and knows all things outside of time. Like nobody gets over on God. Nobody's getting away with anything. Nobody's surprising nobody, but they can do whatever they think they're doing. But there's always a higher order and agenda going on that uses it all to get the divine agenda accomplished. And so even with all that stuff, they shoot themselves in the foot and and it goes too far. And before you know it, people are seeing through the veil and like, hold up. What's up with this? I remember I remember when I would go to Florida to stay with my parents sometimes. Oh, it was like so triggering for me because I didn't get to that childhood trauma yet. 
And just being in their house sometimes would trigger this stuff, make me feel like a seven-year-old boy, right? I'm staying in their guest room or something, and I'm feeling like this little kid in their house. And and I know we don't see eye to eye on certain stuff. And, and so I'm avoiding conversations, and I'm just hanging out by myself, and I'm just tiptoeing around the house and all that. And here you know, there's a conversation that comes up, and it, all of a sudden it's getting heated, and all of a sudden I'm like, ah, I don't want to do this. And, and they just never wanted to hear nothing. I mean, like I said, 15 years ago is when I really – took the red pill and really started having a deep awakening and they all thought I went crazy. And luckily I've, I don't want to say I've toned it down yet, but I was very provocative and I was angry and had a chip on my shoulder. And I was like, just throwing stuff in people's faces for several years. Now I'm like, I've healed so much. I'm a family guy. I'm a husband and a father. Like, so our relationship has healed a lot, but I'll never forget when I went home one time and my dad's like, Hey, did you know, did you know about the deep state and, and that there's good guys and bad guys? And there's like all this stuff. I'm like, yeah, dad. <laughs> and like part of me wanted to be like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and the other part of me was like, wow, I don't know what's going on, but people are changing and they're opening up, you know? So yeah, it's just interesting because it teaches you to not just conclude or put something in a box and just put a label on it and judge it all this or all that or, you know, and there's so many layers and dimensions of what's really unfolding through everything. Indeed. Oh, so many subjects coming up. Um, and, and I think there's uh, there's always in, in the Christian sphere, there's always the talk about good and evil, of course, because that's like the primary mystery that we're all facing. And uh, I love your point, by the way, when when the world falls apart, and that's what happened to me in 2020, I had been awake for a couple of years, you were awake for 15 already. And at that point, it was like, in my mind, everything was falling, like, here we go lockstep with all of these predictions. Now I'm seeing a whole lot of doomsday predictions that are propaganda designed specially for us because they know we're not going to fall for the mainstream BS, but here we are, you know, listening and, and it's easy to take us sideways. And, uh, and then, you know, so, so there is a, a flavor of, I don't even know how to call them. Are they the more conventional, more traditional Christians? And so if we start to talk about, say, say the new age, will say evil, good and evil, two sides of the same coin. There are one that evil actually comes from God, more, more like what you're saying, where, you know, there's a divine order. But, but frankly, you know, there's truth in that too. So, you know, I'm looking at the sky the other night. We had been, um, you know, sprayed like crazy every direction. Do you guys get that in Nicaragua? Are they spray is, spraying your skies? No, not really. Not really. But yeah, I know when I'm in the States, I see it all the time. Yeah, exactly. It was just insane. It's been, it's been a crazy summer. And then at the end of the day, the, the, the sky's all, you know, like total fogged out, but then the, the sunset was just like, bring, and I'm just like, God can make beauty out of ugly things, you know, but, but the source of it, there's something in me that really holds on to a pure source and saying that's two sides of the same coin to me, that's like, that's more like the checkerboard of the, if I don't, if I say F Masons, you know, that you've got this duality dichotomy going, going on. And I always, I always feel the source to be pure that it, that it came from. So, you know, it's one of those questions. It's really difficult to get to any kind of conclusion around, but. So let, let, let me touch on that real quick. Please. And, and that's a really vast one, but just as a subject, it's a really good one. So one of 
So when Noah got off the boat, right, this rainbow comes in the sky and this promise gets made and it says, as long as heaven and earth remains, oh, did I change my, did I go bigger? Did you change my screen? Yeah, you're, you yes, oh. you're big now. Yeah. He says, he said, uh, as long as heaven and earth remains, so will seed time and harvest time, day and night, hot and cold. Okay. So a lot of people that just pass right by there, pass, pass right by that, like, oh, okay, just surface level stuff. But it's really talking about universal law. Okay. So seed time and harvest time is sowing and reaping. Every action has a reaction. Every choice has a consequence. Um, what you reap, you will sow. So these are, he's breaking down. These are the universal laws that govern this reality. And then it says day and night. Okay, the day and night is cycles. It, it keeps what goes around comes around. It's a cycle, and cycle. Everything is cyclical in this realm. And then hot and cold. This is the one I wanted to get to. Hot and cold is interesting because it seems like they're two opposite things. But they're varying degrees of temperature, one thing. Because how hot is hot and how cold is cold, it's all relative. You know, uh, 90 degrees is hot unless you compare it to 110, then it's actually cooler. Yeah. So, so there's, an, there's a way that things can seem like a duality but they're not a duality, they're a variation of one thing. And so the same thing you, we could say about light and dark, we wanna polarize it and say, oh, so there's light, and, so I could say knowledge or, or, or truth, and darkness would be ignorance, right? But it's not just this or that because all of us are growing in light and growing in knowledge. And even if you've been on this path for 40 years, you don't know all things. You still have more to grow, which means there is some darkness in you because darkness is that which you do not yet know. So, so, so God is omnipresent and God is all powerful. And the truth is there's only one power and you're in his presence and you've always been in his presence because there's nowhere to be than other than inside the omnipresence of God. But you did not know. So you got to grow you got to grow in your awareness of what is the truth and it says you will know the truth and the truth will make you free so the truth reveals to you that you not only that you are in the presence of god and that you are living by the power of god because you don't have your own power or your own life you don't have you thought you think you divided in your mind yourself from god and you thought and said a bunch of things remember i said adam whatever he named it is what it was in his reality so you start to say, well, I'm so-and-so and I got my, my own life. It's my power. And I'm, you, so you create that reality. When you do that, you're in darkness. That's why Jesus said on the cross, forgive them for they know not what they do. That word forgive them means liberate them, set them free from the ignorance that they're in because they cannot see what the true reality is. The true reality is what Jesus said. Can you not see? I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Well, we're all in the Father but we can't see and we don't believe. So it's our doubt and unbelief that cuts us off from the flow of grace in our life and from even recognizing that every breath you take is grace. 
literally every breath you take is a gift. This moment is a gift. You are being given this moment with free will to choose what you're going to do. And every word you speak, every step you take, every choice you make, you're doing it by the grace of God, whether or not you want to give God credit or glory. That does not change the fact that God is giving you grace to choose what you're going to do. That's the whole story of the prodigal son. The father gave the son his inheritance. And what did the son do? He went to the city. He got hookers and whores. He went and had drugs. He did all that. The father gave him his inheritance and let him choose what he was going to do with it. So God gives everyone the breath of life equally. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Jesus pointed at the son and he said, he said, you have heard it said, love your friends and hate your enemies. But I tell you, even love your enemies. Then you will be the children of your father in heaven who makes his son to shine on the just and unjust alike. So that's saying that when you look at the sun, it's revealing a certain nature of unbiased, not a respecter of persons, treating all equally, even the robber, the thief, even the rapist, just as much as the pastor, the missionary, the teacher, that he gives them all life equally. He's not playing favorites. He's not a respecter of persons. He gives everybody the same breath, everybody the same light and energy, and everybody the same choice, what you're going to do with it. But you can only do with it according to that which you know. He said, my people perish for lack of knowledge. Okay, so why I was bringing all that up is because, you know, I think the light-dark thing can be a big deception. Because it makes you want, I, I lived under religion for years, and you're judging everybody. Are they in or not? Are they real Christians? Are they real believers? Yes. Or are they fake Christians? Are they, what spirit are they? Is that Jezebel? What what spirit am I dealing I I lived through all those seasons of all those lenses of, of terminology that causes you to scan and continually judge and weigh and measure and try to figure people out and put them in a box with words, right? Instead of this inclusive understanding that we are all, all things are in Christ and made by Christ for Christ, just all may not yet know. And it says, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation to reconcile them unto God. To we the, the, the way that I grew up is like, we got God in us, but nobody else does. So we got to get them to let us, let it jump into them. You know, let me give it to you, right? Mm -hmm. And receive what I'm giving you, as opposed to opening their eyes prophetically and, and declaring over them and revealing the Christ within them and calling their, calling forth into their awareness the fact that Christ is in them. And wanting them to be reconciled and reconnected to their origin and, and remembered and reawakened and resurrected. A lot of people, I told somebody yesterday, a lot of people, they, they, they think that the resurrection, because the earthly minded is, well, if you got in a car accident or something happened to you and you died, don't worry, you'll get resurrected in your earthly form. But if he says, my people perish for lack of knowledge, well, not knowing is being equated with death. And then Paul says, awake you who sleep and rise from the dead and Christ will give you life, right? Light, light is knowledge. So to not know is to be dead and to know is to come to life and to wake up from the dream. So death and sleeping are the same thing and it's not knowing and it's not knowing the spirit being in you through you and around you. And it says there's only one spirit, one Lord, one God, one Father, 
above all, in all, and through all. And Jesus said, this is eternal life, to know God and believe in the one he sent, Jesus Christ. What that means, come into an intimate knowledge of the spirit life that's flowing through you right now and recognize that's God's divine life. Be reunited and reconnected to the divine life that's flowing through you right now, the grace, this divine life that's, that's giving you this moment right now. And to not know that is as good as being dead and it's being asleep and you know and so that's the whole thing so and and but at the same time john says if any man says that he's without sin he's a liar and the truth is not in him that and if it says any man that's even including the believers that's including the saints that's include that's all of us so even though we are beings of light and we've been awakened and born again born from above born of christ born of god but that means there's still some element or some level of sin in us but people think that's like all oh, that's the bad things you do no sin is falling short of the glory of god meaning to not fully to not fully know and understand fully the divine nature even though it says we've been made partakers of the divine nature so we got this weird contradiction going and playing out because we have this spirit being that's being quickened and walking out this journey of being it says as he is in heaven so are we in the earth yes we are what he is and yet at the same time, we carry this flesh that has the recorded record of our experiences and memories attached to our soul that gets triggered to come up and try to remind us of who we were and try to identify with that old character that we thought we were before we woke up. So you got both of these things playing out. And because the church is so asleep as to actually understanding what the soul is, and the dynamics and the mechanics of the soul and about how your memories impact your now present moment and about how triggers work. We don't talk about none of that stuff. So what happens is we have this narrative about God versus devil, light versus dark. Like there's these two equally opposing forces and there's a spiritual warfare and a battle at all times all around you, a war for your soul. And so every time something gets triggered from our past, a memory, a trauma, a wound, it comes up and it, and, it, and it whispers or it speaks to us from inside. But we've been told about this devil that's on the outside that's like there around the corner whispering and trying to attack us and throw darts at us from the outside. And so then we project and blame all of the thoughts and feelings that come up from our past onto an external boogeyman that we're in a war with, but we can never beat because it don't go away because it don't go away that way. <laughs> It goes away by you turning to look within and facing it and healing that little hurt child that's frozen and locked in time and loving into transmuting. And when you do that, every time that you rewrite your memories, you rewrite your past, you literally change your story in your past, you disempower that lie and it dissipates and it goes away and it never has the power to haunt you again. But if we don't do that and start disentangling this stuff one by one, see, there is a level where there is no devil. There is a level where there is no devil. And Christians don't understand that the Bible is leading us to a crescendo at the end of the book in the book of Revelation where Jesus in chapter one, he's standing and it says his face shined like the sun and his eyes burned like fire. And it describes this being of light. And then in chapter three and four, it describes him sitting in this throne. It says the lamb who was seated on the throne emerald rainbow all around the throne. There's lightning bolts coming out from the throne and crystal clear river waters and all this amazing and angels are bowing down. And then from that throne, he says to he who overcomes, 
I will let fit in my throne. To he who overcomes, I'll give a new name. To he who overcomes, I'll, I'll let eat from the tree of life. I'll give the manna from heaven. He's, he's offering the fullness of his identity, of his nature, of his power, of his authority, of his, of his relationship, of his father, of his kingdom, everything. He's offering a trade. Everything you thought you knew about you, everything that you thought you were, which was all actually a figmentation of your imagination. You created it. You decided and you called it and you named it. And he knows that you trapped yourself in your own mind. He knows that it wasn't your fault and he's never held it against you because he understands this world. He understands you were born into a world. They grabbed you as a baby. They stamped your foot. They gave you a birth certificate. They sold you unknowingly into a systematic way of, of, of indoctrination and programs and all that. So it was never counted against you from the beginning before you even came. He said, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. He says you began in him before the foundations of the world were laid. So he intimately knows you. You didn't start here. You didn't even start in your mother's womb. He knows everything about you more than you know yourself. And he knew everything you'd ever experience or get into. So he couldn't hold it against you. It was all understood and forgiven before you even came. And he sent Jesus to create this opportunity for you to remember who you are and for you to make a trade with him through that cross. You can't get to the throne without coming through the cross. And you join him vicariously. You project yourself through that word, through that image onto the cross. And it says that we were co-crucified with Christ and that we died with Christ. And that's you taking that old man, that dead man, that corporate identity, that corpse, that fictitious character that you gave life to, that you would put that man vicariously up on the cross with Jesus and let him be put to death in Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, which is where you do all that thinking. And that you would release your past and everything that you think you know and that what you re receive is a revelation and that you can go beyond faith and believing and come into knowing. You are coming to the knowledge of God and the knowledge of who you are. He says, he says, take my yoke for it is light. Come to me, all you who are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come, come to me. Give me your identity and let me give you mine. Let me make a trade with you. Take mine. And so through Jesus, God, who is spirit and light and life and word and power and love and joy and peace and grace and all these things, he's trying to release to you your inheritance and your birthright as a saint in light, as a son of God, through Jesus, as an image, as a reference point. So if you can get through that cross and release who you thought you were, you can pass through to the throne and sit down and come home as a divine being of light and finally put to rest all these contradictions and all this confusion and all this stuff that will never make sense because it can't make sense because it's not true. Amen, brother. <laughs> what a great rap. I love that. <clears throat> so good. Um, yeah. I want to go in a lot of different directions, but let me see. So the, um, So the historical nature of the Bible, does it change that? Because I was trying to make sense of all of this confusion. Confusion is a weapon, right? That it makes most people turn away. Most people, when they get confused, they just say no and they're done and it's over. But for me, I'm going to dig in and, and try to let that confusion go and see, because there's always truth underneath it. It's right there. It's, it's in you. 
And so when it comes to, I had a really hard time, even though I love Jesus and I had such a, you know, like powerful internal experience of Jesus would come to me. Like I'm like, I'm just sitting there and all of a sudden I'm, I'm surrounded by this energy and I know it's Christ, right? It's unquestionable, but then the glorification of the death and, and the cross and the, 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 um, trauma-based mind control of continually reminding people of this brutal torture and murder in in a, you know, historical political context, um, you know, and, and I was able, I was able to come around and see how, you know, in the garden, we became separated from God in man's eyes, not in God's eyes. That doesn't, God doesn't, right. We turned away from God. And so, and there's, a growing distance and there's a lot of pain. And then like we were talking about the beginning, you can't, you have to go through that pain. Most, most people don't know how to do that or aren't willing to do it. And then, and so by Jesus being, being taken as a, as part of the, I want, I'd love you to speak to that in terms of the contract, how that, how that um, made it possible for ultimately man to turn back to God. Okay. So I, I do believe, you know, um, how conscious, unconscious, I don't know. But I, I do believe that a lot of what you're saying about the, the fascination, the obsession with the church and the graphic, gory, um, suffering and all that is a, a very Catholic thing. And uh, especially here in Central America, you go into like a lot of Catholic churches and the Stations of the Cross, and there's it's just all these images of these this frail, weak Jesus, right? Always just beat up, and um, so you know I, I'm I am sure that there is a you know a multi-dimensional agenda with some of that stuff. Um, but while you were saying it, I just had a vision, you know, because I believe that I believe that all of the Bible stories and and Quite frankly, I don't know. I, I, I have no clue how many of the people were actual real people. I, I have no clue. Now, I'm open. I'm open. I'm the kind of person that, for the most part, I don't pick either or. I'm always like, yes, and. So I believe that there is a level of historicity, but I don't believe it was written to be a history book, to be fine-coned, and that all the details got to be true. I believe in mythology. Problem is people think that mythology means it's fake. Mythology is actually based on real history, but it's it's written in a fanciful way so that they can also get across crazy spiritual allegory and like divine principles and all that stuff simultaneously in one story. So I believe that the Bible is mythology. That doesn't mean it's not real, true, fake, anything like that. Um, but like I said about Adam, all of the characters in the Bible, I made a post the other day and I said, what if, what if you, what if the book is about you? What if you are the book? What if you are all the characters in the book? What if you are light and darkness, male and female, man and woman, tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the river running through the garden, all the characters, what if, what if you, what if the book is a mirror to you to make you realize who you are, right? And so 
when I look at all the characters in the Bible like that, like what do they, what does this person represent? What characteristic, what quality, what attribute does, well, when I see, I just saw this while you were talking about the graphic, the goriness of the suffering of Jesus. And it talks about Jesus putting on the sin of man, taking it all on, the sin of the world. And when we don't think about sin as just these bad acts or choices people make, but it has to do with a fallen consciousness. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Well, what is the glory of God is the truth of your being one with him. So when we fall short, you see what Adam did. They try to hide themselves instantly with leaves and fig leaves, and they felt ashamed and naked. And, and then think about how, think about just, you think about when you're in high school. Almost everybody across the board when you're in high school, we fake it. We're putting on a show. We're trying to get people to accept us and to, and to want us or to make us feel wanted. We're all living in a fake world where we can't just be ourselves. We're all putting on a mask. We're all hiding inside. We're all ashamed of ourselves inside. So when, I, when you were saying that, I saw Jesus like the whippings and, and just the pain. And I saw it as an image of, of what we do to ourselves. Mm how we beat ourselves up, how we judge ourselves, how we hate ourselves. Like I hated myself. I hated myself. My religion at an early age made me feel that I would never be worthy of God's love. And it made me feel not worthy of love, which made me feel not loved, which made me not love and made me hate. I hated myself and I hated other people. So when I see that image of Christ making something visible, Right? All, all symbols make invisible things understood. Jesus has said he only taught in parables. So he talked about a sower walking in the field sowing seeds. Or he talked about a, a woman who lost a coin and she's sweeping the house. But it's not talking about a coin or a house or a woman. It's talking about you and what's the invisible things happening inside of you. It's talking about thoughts and feelings. But how can I show you a feeling or a thought? I've got to somehow make it visible and make a symbol. So when I seen Jesus on that cross while you were talking, I was like, oh my God, that's what everybody is feeling. And maybe it had to be that graphic because that's how intense the trauma is. It's really like that inside of us, but we don't have a reference point. We don't know how to express it. And, and he knows what it's like and he took it on. He knows that pain and the agony of the human experience. And, uh, so, yeah, I think, like you said, I think there's truth in everything and there's also people twist everything. But I think that God has divinely, I think that the source, that spirit, regardless of how many times people have tried to twist and turn and pervert and put their fingerprints on and somehow they're going to distort the message. I believe that the message is divinely protected and that beyond the words, the most powerful thing about the story is images because you can't distort the images. So people fight over the words. They get doctrines about words and de definitions and etymology. But if you look at the images, the steps of Jesus's life is a priestly path of initiation. And he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you're not worthy of me. So he wants to transform you into him. But in order to do that, you've got to identify with each step of his life. You've got to see the symbols of the steps of his life as something that happens to you inwardly through the journey of your life. Whether it's the baptism, whether it's the crucifixion, whether it's being rejected by others, all the steps of his life is what you must go through and you will go through if you take on his life.
right? And so even that, even that, um, that cross and that crucifixion, yeah, I believe it's been used, weaponized against people on, that, that don't know any better. But I also believe that those who are awake can look at even that and receive crazy revelation that, yeah, oh my God, that, that is how it was. That's the cross that I had to bear. And it was that graphic. When I hated myself, I got to the point of being suicidal. I wanted to take my life. So yeah, it got to that point that it was that intense and that graphic that I just wanted to take this cup from me, you know? And so I, I see two sides of it all. Every, everything, there's somebody out there twisting it and using it against somebody else from, from an evil heart. But at the same time, all things can be used to bring about good, you know? So it's all about the intention of your heart and, and that's what's gonna determine what you receive out of everything. That's beautiful, Daniel. Yeah, I love that. It, uh, it it offers a lot of freedom. And I mean, I'm kind of like you. You can't put me in a box. You can't tell me what it is. If I can't discover it for myself, it's just not true. I'm sorry. Like, I can't just, I just can't fake it till I make it and keep on rep repeating like a robot and things that aren't, aren't true for me. So I got I to gotta add one last thing. Sure. Here's the problem with that cross. If you, if you bring somebody to the cross and say in churches, you got people that go down to the altar every other week. Keep come back to the cross, brother. Come back to the cross. You got people that are going for 10 years, 15 years, that keep going to the cross, keep going to the altar, keep giving their life back to God. But they, they was never told that there's something on the other side of that cross. They was never walked home to the throne. Only when you get home to the throne does the gravity of how much that cross means to you what it actually did for you, it opened a portal for you to come into absolute freedom and into the life of Christ. But if you don't, if, if somebody doesn't introduce you to that other, you know, promised land on the other side of the cross, then man, it keeps people in a loop and in a trap and in an emotional bondage of always feeling guilty, you know, and always, always going to that place, but never getting through it to what's on the other side. So, I, you know, the throne is where he's trying to get you home to. Mm, I couldn't love that more. One of my mottos in, in the teachings that I do is keep going, right? That, and, and people do, they'll have one thing that they will avoid the door that God is presenting 100% and they'll just try to do everything anti to it. Or they get stuck in the door and they end up in a in that loop, exactly what you're saying. And it's just, you know, because you want to feel the guilt. You can't be free from the guilt if you don't feel it. But if you stay perpetually in the guilt, it's going to eat your life. And it'll eat any kind of service that you would ever be to to anyone. So I love that. Yeah, they keep going to the other side. Don't keep just coming to the cross. Go all the way to the throne. Yes, beautiful, beautiful uh, images. I love that. And uh, it's so, um, it, you know, this is one thing about, I'll just share with you how I was able to help, someone help me make sense of this too, about, about the good and evil thing. And because I work with the archetypes, the subject is the unconscious, right? That And it is a crazy realm, as dramatic and intense as the crucifixion of Christ, that the torture that we do to each other, the, the will to kill, people don't realize how, mm -hmm. how strong our will to kill is, whether it's ourself or the other, the, the hatred, the self-hatred, the, the hatred of the other. Uh, it, it's a circus in here. It's amazing that we can have any peace or semblance of a normal kind of life at all or peaceful life at all. Mm -hmm. And so 
when I started to really study, is that shadow evil? That's what that's what I said for for more than a decade. That that it's just simply hidden. It's not evil. It's innocent. And when you see it, it's not hidden anymore, and it's not dark. But I did feel like there was some distinction in that because that that what's hidden is innocent. As soon as you see it, <clears throat> there's like oh, oh, I'll change my ways. I'll I'll do something different now. Now I see it. Why would I? keep doing that. And, and, but I think what happens is that the shadow itself, the more invested you are in holding the important parts of yourself in the unconscious, then it becomes potential fodder for what do you call them? Wayward spirits, demons, Satan, like, you know, there seems to be some kind of play there. And the more compounding the shadow the more committed you are from the unconscious place to just stuffing your past and hoping nobody ever brings that up and maybe lying about it and hiding it and being afraid of it, it compounds and you become even more vulnerable to being out of integrity, to doing the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. You're already deep in, you know, people who do wrong tend to do more wrong. Right. So that's my, just my little take on you know, but do you do you feel like there's there's no there's you haven't been able to like come across any actual satanic forces? There's there's ones that that I that I've um, faced and Jesus helps like amazing. Even before I really had any relationship with Jesus, I would call on Jesus for demonic attacks, dealt with like instantaneously. Um, I can. Yeah, oh, well, I'm not. No, I'm I'm not at all saying that I don't believe um, in dark energy, you want to call it satanic, you know, satanic rituals, use, but just like the in, intense and immense dark things. Um, but I see that as being um, completely disconnected from love. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like um, yeah. uh, a complete separation or no knowledge of or being dead to love or us like completely asleep um and because because if if you think about in in this natural realm there's this other element that drives a lot of it and it's survival survival of the fittest yeah you know yeah. like this innate natural thing is Got to survive. And if that means eating the arm off the next animal, you know what I'm saying? It's not even a thought. And so um, what separates us from that and transcends that is knowing the spirit and knowing this, this divine nature. So when you eliminate that factor out, man is no different than an animal. That's what separates us from the animals, you know? And so... Um, but that, that what's crazy is what you're saying, like even those forces, there are there are animals that can show more compassion and love a lot of times. You know, you see these videos. Crazy, I think in a video the other day, a shark, a great white shark, held a tortoise in his mouth and there was a boat and it swam up. The tortoise had a rope around its neck and was choking. The great white shark brought the tortoise up to push it up to the boat so that the men would bring the turtle into the boat and cut the thing off so it's it's crazy that even in the animal kingdom you know you see these crazy signs of like compassion and connectedness and stuff that we wouldn't even think and yet we can wind up in positions where 
we're living with complete disconnect from all of that. Yeah. Wow. It's, it, it's like shocking. <laughs> amazing to see. And that's, that's why, you know, I, when I work with people, I, I'll never program, I'll never program them. I'll never um, try to like, how do people like reprogramming? And it came up a few times in the chat here. I'll never do that because in my opinion, in my findings, we are perfectly programmed. God did all of that, right? The primary program from God is love. And that's in all life. It's there. You can see it. Someone who should like, like that great white shark should eat the turtle, but there was an awareness that there was a, a vulnerability and a compromised uh, situation. And there is, you know, so they're working together on the love, on the love. And, and then, but, you know, so, so to me, it's all a process of letting go of anything that's not love that, in, that didn't come from God, right? That was actually the prayer before the, um, the stream today, just that, you know, that in anything that is God comes forward and anything that's not God, God doesn't, doesn't need to be here. Or of course, we'll, you know, I'll deal with it. And I'm not afraid of that. But it is the fear that keeps us running for our life all day long. It's the one promise we have about eternal life, if we just receive it. And then, but we're running all day long, like chickens with our head cut off, trying to survive. Right. And, and so that's the, the di very sad dichotomy of, of uh, our lives. It's, yeah, it's such a, it's such a complex and interesting thing, right? Because once again, words. So we say, sure, love. Obviously, that's 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 the truth, and that's what we're that's what God is, and it all boils down to love. So whatever is not love, and and at the same time, what is love? And a lot of times, there's these. I, I think that once again, there's agendas that sometimes have watered down certain doctrines about God to make us very passive and very docile and and just accept and turn the other cheek. And, you know, and I've, I've allowed and accepted a lot of stuff that probably way crossed over lines that should, I should have put my foot down. You know, whether it's my house being robbed or my wife being violated and different kinds of things because of those verses that would come up, you know, turn the other cheek or you know, different things. But at the same time, it's like real love is, real love is equality and it's honoring and respecting the sovereignty of everyone else as long as we're not violating each other that it's not my place to tell you what you should do it's not my place to tell you how to live your life now if you come and suddenly you're putting my wife and kids in jeopardy it might be love for me to kick your ass exactly you know so it's it's just yeah. it's so, so interesting the the multifacets of this, this life that we're figuring out, this reality. So, so highly nuanced. I'm always coaching people about this because as soon as you have a policy, it's exactly what Christ taught against, right? That pharisaical, um, uh, legalistic, you know, that you got a policy for everything. You got a rule for every occasion. You step right. outside of it, you're a sinner. But in reality, you don't know until you're in that situation what love looks like. Yeah. But if you're there present and you have enough uh, experience not letting your fears be the authority, then you're going to know exactly what to do in that moment. And you won't even have to think about it or right. it's, it's not premeditated. You're just all of a sudden you are handling the situation probably for the benefit of everybody also potentially there. Right. Being spirit led, having all the rules pre-figured out keeps, it, it shuts out the voice of the spirit that might tell you to spontaneously, 
Man, I've had the spirit tell me to do so many crazy, random, unexpected things that were contrary to what I would have normally been inclined to do, but you do it and it wound up working to be, whoa, that was amazing because you had to be led by the spirit in that moment. And so when you think you already have the answer for each and every single hypothetical situation, this is what you can do and not can't do. There's no freedom for the spirit to move and to guide you. You got it. I have to tell a real quick story. The other night I'm hearing this bang, 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 bang. And I, I live in a, a pretty you know, busy thoroughfare and there's the crackheads and drug dealers in the back lane, even though it's, you know, there's a good area there, but bad area there. And so I'm hearing this bang, bang, bang. And I'm going like, is that on our building here? Or where's that coming from so loud? Poke my head up over the balcony and there's a guy there. And and then he's he's actually banging on the first responder's door saying like, I need help, bang, bang, bang. I need help, bang, bang, bang. And he's desperate and he look, it looks like he's gonna go break some windows in the front um, you know, car park place. And, and then, so he started yelling, I need help. And next thing you know, just up and out of me, I could have done a, a bunch of different things. I could have gone outside there. I could have tried to reason with him. I could have like phone, whatever. And I just, every time he said, I need help, I said, phone 911. He's like, I need help. Phone 911. And I broke the pattern for him. I could see like there was a pattern interrupt. He's all like kind of confused. And then three guys come from across the street without me doing anything. And they drive right up to him. They take out their phones. Do you want me to phone 911? He's like, yes, they phone 911. And, and, he, and it started to be taken care of. But I couldn't predict what was going to happen in that moment. I just used my voice and out comes this phone 911 kind of thing, you know, and right. it happened with another couple. They were fighting right outside my door. I know way too much about their personal life now. And, uh, and I couldn't do it. So I'm sitting there praying, Jesus, please tell me something. I don't want to go out and get myself in trouble. And, uh, and then all of a sudden the spirit's moving and I opened my window and I just was, what did I say? I can't remember, but it was like, um, does anybody need help out there? It was so interesting. The other guy's calling for help and I just offered help. And again, it's a pattern interrupt that they're, they're like, oh, oh, somebody's hearing us at least something that, that gets them off of their, you know, right. so those moments. Yeah. I love those moments. They're amazing. <laughs> we don't need policies for anything. We really don't. We need awareness and let's, let's uh, go over. I hope, I hope your time is still good. Are you okay yeah. to continue? No, no, good. Fantastic. And uh, so I named this, this um, stream one because oneness and you've alluded to it several times already, is highly controversial in the Christian world. And it's kind of crazy because it argues with my direct experience. And I can't leave my experience out of it. I have, I have direct experiences of oneness. I help people every day to release a program. It's called wanting oneness or being afraid not to have oneness. The flip side of it is wanting to be separate. So wanting oneness and wanting to be separate, identical in their signature vibration. If you actually look and see the evidence of it. Hmm. And when you let go of wanting oneness, that's your experience is oneness. It's right there. God gave that stuff in my, in my experience. And, and then one of the things I'll just say this and let you go. Cause I know you got a lot to say on this is that, um, you know, so somebody sent me a bunch of verses that are proving I shouldn't think about oneness or consider that real. And then I'm like, hmm, what about the body of Christ? And so, you know, I, I search around and I found this huge long list 
of the body of Christ. And it says over and over, you are one in the body of Christ, one in the body of Christ, one in the body of Christ. It's just like over and over and over. I'm like, how do you, how do you even come to the conclusion that you can't be one with God, one with Christ? Anyway, you go now. <laughs> yeah. So before I dive into uh, the pro argument, I will touch on some of the arguments of the con or the against, and I can attest to it because of walking out. Like I, I've been open to and believing in a, a, an experience of and a concept of oneness for almost 15 years. It's evolved over the time. And I have, because I've explored all angles and areas of it. So sometimes I'll drift to the left, drift to the right, you know, and, um, and that pendulum swings, right? You're exploring different things. The pendulum swings one way, it swings the next way. And at times when I did, uh, okay, so first, first I'll say this. If, if a cat gives birth to babies, what is the cat birth? The babies. Cats, kittens, right? Right. A dog gives birth to dogs, right? Man gives birth to man. God gives birth to God. And Jesus said, even your own scriptures tell you in Psalm 82, all of you are Elohim, sons of El Elyon. Okay, that means all of you are gods, sons of God most high. But if you do not believe, you will die like men. Okay, so... Well, I'll show you in a second through the verse through the verses I'm going to share. The Bible is all about us awakening to divinity, becoming partakers of the divine nature, and coming into oneness with God. Now, the problem is there's a lot of New Age versions of that and languages that seem kind of like that. And some people use the terms that it's like a Luciferian. Um, and there's people that use even that term in a good way and in a negative way. The difference is what I experienced on my journey of embracing my divinity, embracing my, um, my sharing the Christ nature or my being one with God or being born of God. At times, that language, it can lead you, your ego to play tricks on you to this point where you're identifying with being God and they're not being a supreme being or deity who is greater than you, which that's what Jesus said. He said, the father is greater than I. He said he was one with the father. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father, but he also said the father is greater. Okay. So if you go down this path of oneness and you're engaging and entertaining these different languages and we are what God is and we do what God does. That's what it says. As he is, we are. So he's a spirit that creates with a word. We are spirit that can literally create. We're creating the life and death and the power of our tongues. So we're, we're embracing when you look at the Lord in the scriptures, everything that's true about the Lord, it gets revealed and applied to you. Right? The Lord of Lords. So literally, you begin to look at Christ and look at God and look at the Lord. And, and as by looking at them, you're awakening and activating the divine nature of the Christ life in you. And you're realizing, wow, who and what I am, because I'm born of him. Because we've been born of God, not born of man or the sweat of the brow or the blood or sperm and egg. No, no, no. Our spirit being is born of God. Okay, But 
you can get to this point when it's new language and you're entertaining new concepts and stuff to where you start, because I talk about manifesting. I talk about what every man thinks in his heart, so shall it be. I talk about, um, you know, whatever you believe, whatsoever man thinking is and all things are possible to he who believes and that we are co-creating reality. So they can get to this point where sometimes it could be a negative thing where you start trying to take accountability for everything in your life, responsibility for everything in your life as if you're making it all happen. And, and then before you know it, you might get in a situation where there's a lot of hell breaking loose in your life. You might do some chaos or situations going and you're like, you're trying to connect the dots and what did you do to make this happen? You know, and, and how is it? And before you know it, you can be standing on top of a mountain and taking all the responsibility and thinking somehow you are that powerful that you're making it all happen. And you can't even relate anymore to there being somebody to reach out to somebody to call out to, to help you. And I've been in that situation where I've all of a sudden I was like, Oh my God, I, I had lost the ability to reach out or to be intimate with God, with the Father. So that's not the oneness that we're talking about. We're not talking about you are God on your own, which a lot of people fall down that trap and then there'd be no relationship. Okay, we're talking about that there's one supreme divine life who has expressed himself in a multiplicity through limitless um, number of expressions of his own life and nature who are, who are all like him. Let us make them in our image and likeness. So we are made as individual expressions, making him visible, and we are like him, but you're not the sum total of him, and I'm not the sum total of him. We're all, so we are, we are turning back around, looking back to where we came from at our source and realizing well, we are emanating from and expressions of that divine life. And there is no separation, right? And so Jesus, here's, here's the, you really don't got to go no farther than this one verse, but there's tons of verses you can go to. In John chapter 17, it's called the high priestly prayer. Before Jesus goes to the cross, he's alone with God and he's praying and he says, Father, what I long for, I would for them that just has how you and I are one, that they too, that they may be one with us, that they would be one with the Father and Son, and that they would be one with each other. Okay, so Jesus is his greatest desire to be fulfilled and what he was willing to go to the cross for. This is what he was willing to go to the cross for, that we might catch the revelation of us being in the Father and the Father in us and that we would inherit the same exact relationship that he had with the Father, that we as well, and that we would even experience something that he never experienced in the flesh. Jesus walked the earth while no other man had that relationship with the Father. So Jesus couldn't share oneness with others. He, his disciples walked with him. They didn't get him. They didn't understand him until after the cross. Mm-hmm. And then he had to leave them so that they could come into the spirit in that way. So when he said, you will do even greater things than I, he never got to experience intimate fellowship amongst a group of people who all recognize we literally share one spirit life. And we are. And then when you go to the book of Acts, all these different verses, one verse says, and they shared one heart. One verse said, and they shared one mind. One says they were all of one accord and they were all one body, one body, one spirit, one mind, one accord, 
one, 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 one. It's all about being one, one with God and one with each other that we share. Uh, what does it say in John, the letters of John? He says, um, he says, we write, I'm paraphrasing here, but he basically says, we, we write to you so that our joy, we share our joy with you and our joy may be made full in you that you would share in our oneness with the Father and Son. Then John, he writes to his disciples. John is Jesus' best friend, supposedly, as, as the, of the males. Jesus' best friend. So then one, he says, he's writing his disciples, and it says, I write this to you. Um, he says, I write this to you, children. It's this thing that he, he repeats um, three times, or two times. And it's basically to different levels, like almost like, like initiates or degrees of maturity. He says, I write this to you, little children. For you have, you know, get it wrong, but overcome the wicked one, or you have believed. Where then he says, I write this to you, young men. And then he says, I write this to you, fathers. He said, and this is crazy because that used to trigger me because Jesus said, Call no man on earth your father, for you have one father who is in heaven. So I was like, Why is John calling these dudes father? Why, what, why is he calling anybody fathers, right? But he wasn't calling them his father, he wasn't saying that they were somebody's fathers. He says, I write this to you, fathers. For you have come to know he who is from the beginning. Okay, He who is from the beginning is the, so the source, the Father. And to come to know is the same thing when it says, and Adam knew Eve and she begot him a child. It means the two came together in intimacy and became one flesh. And just how Adam and Eve became one flesh, we become one spirit with God. And it says, anyone who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. But see, in our mind, we were separated from the spirit because we thought we were something else. We, we judge ourselves according to the flesh, just like the birth certificate, height, weight, color, gender. We, we conceived an identity based upon this outside flesh. But when that's flipped and we begin to identify, Jesus said, I am the life. That's the whole thing, right? The live birth claim. I'm not just this body and this vessel. I am the life flowing through it. And I share that life with God and with my brothers. Where there's only one, one spirit, one Lord, one God, and one Father, in all, above all, in all, and through all. So oneness is actually nothing more than coming into agreement with the word and with Jesus and with the revelation. And one last verse I want to uh, share, and it's in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 60, I think, and he says, I will give them a new name. Okay, now name means nature, right? Name is like a reputation. Somebody's reputation is because of the way they are. So it's their nature. I will give them a new name, a name better than that of sons and daughters. Like, whoa, hold up, what? I mean, to be a son of God, that's great, right? What else is there? I will give them a new name better than that of sons and daughters, an eternal and everlasting name that can never be cut off. Whoa. It's an immortal and eternal nature and name better than sons and daughters. What could be better than sons and daughters? There's only one thing, his own name, his own nature. And, and that name, you know, he revealed it to Moses. And then in the commandments, it says, thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. And people think that means don't say goddamn, Don't say Jesus Christ. Don't say this. No, no, no. The name is I am. 
the name that he revealed forever. It says, for all of time, the name that I will, that I'm revealing, it is I am. Okay. And at the end of the day, the only thing that I know beyond the shadow of a doubt is here I am. <laughs> and and anytime that you add to that something, I'm never gonna be good enough. I'm too old for that. Um I'm getting look at me, I'm I'm not even pretty anymore. Um once again, Adam, whatever he named the thing is what it became in his reality. And you once again, you create an alternative reality when you start adding. See, you are divine. God knows you to be divine because God said you began in me before the foundation of the world. God knows you started in him as an expression of him. But if you decide to conclude that you're not that, he can't stop you from creating an alternative reality and a schism in your mind. That's what you get saved from. The salvation, Jesus is God's salvation to you because he's saving you from the world that you created in your mind that tells you you're not divine. You know, so for me, that's what oneness is. It's being restored and redeemed and reconciled back to where I actually came from, which is the divine life of God. But I went on this whole journey. I sinned and fell short from my from understanding that. And, you know, through Jesus, he reconciled me to that. Amazing. I love that. <laughs> so beautiful. It's amazing. Uh, I wanted to cover one of the archetypes that's very big in my world. I meant to ask you to do the King Hero's Journey archetype quiz, actually. And uh, I'd be very curious to see. It just takes 10 minutes to answer some questions. Cool. And um, and then I was looking at your album, Rain, which I knew before your new one called Renaissance. Renaissance and uh, and then really closely seeing how you've got the little crown in there. Of course, Rain has is, is got King all over it. And this is the King Hero, uh, King Hero's Journey podcast, meaning that you know, I, I invented the King Hero. This was just something that came to me and it stuck. And I had a mentor say, oh, it's never going to, you know, that'll never catch on. I hear people saying it all the time. Oh, he's a King Hero and he's a King Hero. And it's talking much more about the person who uses their journey as a, something to humble them, not to make them great and, you know, reign over others and say that you're God and all of that kind of thing. So to me, the king is a much more humbled, you know, in, in its awakened expression, that is, is a much more humbled kind of a, uh, a figure, but very much also, right? Christ is the king. That's like Christ is the ultimate um, description of that archetype of the king. Very king, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's somewhere also where the Christians can get um, their, their shirt in a knot, where, where you start to like, and, and, and even in the, the alt law world, because you're, you're hip to that, how like, oh, I'm a sovereign, I'm a sovereign citizen, I'm blah, blah. And that's like a contradiction of, of terms right there. And you can't be right. sovereign, even in our legal system. It's, it's, um, there's, only, there's only one legal sovereign, and that's a king or queen. And, and, you, and that's the one. That, and the, the real meaning of that word is that you reign over others. Now, there mm. is like reigning and, 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 you know, like the victory. I love your song that from, from, from um, victim to victor. That's so powerful. This one I have in my head almost constantly. I have to stop listening and write my own music to even get a, a little break from that. Cause it's, it, it's so perfectly said you got away with words, Daniel. And so what's your take on the King archetype? What's what, what how do you see that? It's a good question because once again, like, the, the crazy thing about the Bible and the Bible narrative, once you see this, it doesn't make sense to you at all how it's been used, right? But the Bible, when I look at the Bible now, 
it's it's like any story or any movie like it has to be taken as a whole in context as a whole right there's a beginning there's a there's a crisis there's a like the hero's journey the bible is the hero's journey totally like, so so if you don't take it chronologically through to the end there's no way you can understand what the point of it is or, or what's 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 the meaning right what's what's the crescendo and the way most people preach out of the Bible is like they more want to get principles across. So every week the guy's got to put a sermon together. So this week we're going to talk about this. So then I'll go find a bunch of verses that talk about that subject. And I'll talk about wisdom or I'll talk about um, forgiveness or I'll talk about what. And so they find the verses that back up that principle. Um but by doing that, you never get what is what is the message of the whole work, right? And so this, the story of the whole work of all, if you add, if you think about it like this, you started, your body started as a single fertilized egg, right? A single cell. And then it started cell dividing and multiplying and cell dividing and multiplying. And no matter how many it got up to, it was never anything other than one, mm -hmm. right? So when you look at the Bible and this story, it starts out with one, like Adam, right? And then split into two, and then the two became three and four, and then started multiplying, and there's all these different characters, peoples, but it was only ever one man. All the man was one man. It's always been one man. And so it's the journey of the one man and the fall and the descent of the one man and and the awakening and the being born again of the one man and and the transformation that happens to the psyche of that one man as this because the ego is not always bad it's the persona it's, it's how we live in this realm right and so it's from pauper to prince it's the transformation from this you know was ashamed and hiding and lying and faking close the door please um but at the end, it says he has made us priests and kings unto our God and that we are a nation of priests. And it says he's the Lord of lords and the king of kings. So it's a good question that you brought up about that archetype, because if you never actually stop to think about the archetype, there's no way that you could understand what is it saying about you? Who are you? Because it's all about you. If, if, if the thing doesn't reveal to you, what is it saying to you about you? What did it do? Right, so if it's doing something to you and it says he has made us priests and kings and lords and kings, um, for me, priests and kings, priests is dealing with priests are spiritual scientists, that's what priests were before religion and science wasn't separate, it was one thing the science of the spirit, understanding what understanding behind the veil the universal laws and principles and consciousness and energy and like what is this realm what's this place and so priest is understanding the invisible realities that includes your psyche your psychological your soul all understanding the invisible realm which is the 99.9 percent .9%. and so kingship to me is when you open your eyes and you look outside being able to steward physical reality 
being able to govern first yourself, then your household, then whatever other opportunities are brought to you. But kingship is what, uh, to me, kingship is what we would normally attribute to that word sovereignty. Like you said, we, we use words we might not really know what they understand. But for me, it's being, it's having power and authority and dominion, which that's page one. And he gave them dominion and placed right. them in the earth to subdue it and everything in it. Um, so it's just literally having uh, wisdom, self-control, and, and a real king is for his people. He's not a dictator. He's not taking from the people. Jesus proved what a real king is. He came down to the level of the people to give them all what he had. A normal king is they're getting their authority by restricting the power and authority of the people. That's what separates them and elevates them over the people. But Jesus is a king that held nothing back and equally gave. That's the craziest. He's the craziest God because he gives everybody 100% what he is and what he has and holds nothing back from anybody, including his relationship with the Godhead, including his abilities, and even says, and you'll do even greater things than me. So to me, that's the ultimate nature of a righteous king. But priesthood is equally as important or more important because there's no way you could be a righteous king without actually understanding spirit and how we are all one in spirit because it's the revelation of the fact that we are one in spirit that otherwise you're following rules. I won't lie to my friend because that's bad. Right? I'm not going to cheat with my best friend's wife because it's in the Ten Commandments. There's no conscience, heart, understanding, realization. Like I would be doing that to myself. Mm -hmm. Right. But that comes with the understanding that we are one spirit. There is no other. <laughs> there is no other. There's just unique expressions of myself mirroring to me and giving me the opportunity to see where my heart is. So priesthood, you know, understanding the spirit reality and the dynamics of us being one, one life, one heart, one mind, is what gives you the conscience and the righteous inclination to be a, a king. I mean, like for me, I love, I'm growing faith to faith, glory to glory right now, in manifesting, in opportunities appearing in my life, I'm believing for a massive wealth shift this year and all that, but I'm doing it all knowing I've been going through the fire of being prepared to handle that stuff righteously and to share it. And, and I'm encouraging people every step of my journey. I'm showing them, I'm pointing to God. I'm giving the God the glory. I'm telling them, I ain't no different than you. If you see this happening for me, it could happen for you. This is what I'm believing. This is why it's happening. And, um, you know, and I, and I just, I believe that kingship is governing in the physical realm and uh, everybody's doing that to, at some level. It's just, is it righteous or not? And that depends on that priesthood part of what do you really believe spiritually? Mm, fantastic. I love that. Yeah, because I mean, we have lots of examples of the tyrannical kings run amok. And, uh, and, and you know, that, that's, that's to me why I, when I teach about the king, it, um, the king must have God because you're at a place where not a lot of people can minister to you, right? When you when you're up there, it's just a it's just a reality of what's going on. It's hard it's harder to find help actually as you as you rise, and you're responsible for everything. You have more problems than anyone in reality, yeah. <laughs> right? Because you got the the everybody stuff. wants to blame you for everything. Mm -hmm. Exactly, you're you you're visible. You can be seen. You're easy to slingshot at. 
And um, and then so, yeah, when we've got all of these examples of godless kings, and I'm also curious what you think, say, Clint Richardson. Have you come across him yet, by the way? No, but real okay. quick, before you finish that point about uh, like kings and people getting close to him, that's yeah. why you got those two stories in the Bible about Joseph and Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Joseph in Egypt, you know, he was just a, a slave, a servant, and he was in the dungeon. He was in prison. But because he had the ability to, to translate dreams, interpret dreams and stuff, word got to the Pharaoh who had a dream that nobody could answer. And um, and he was able to come and interpret and everything. And then the Pharaoh recognized, like, I need this guy around me. And the same thing happened with Daniel and his friends. And um, like you said, like, it's very limited who the, the king had all these supposed wise men around, but nobody could actually answer the questions or you know, help him with his stuff. And so when he found one, even though there was from a different culture, different whatever, he kept him close by at all times because, you know, it's uh, a rare thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was just reading that exact story in there. And uh, that's, that's, uh, um, Joshua would be more like the alchemist in, in my world, because the alchemist advises the king. The alchemist is that force, maybe like the Merlin, right? Yeah, the priestly the priestly force that can give the the reflection without any fear, because a lot of people fear the king, but the alchemist can can walk alongside and just keep showing the mirror and uh, keep that king humble and and a servant more than a tyrant. Yeah, what was you saying about Clint Richardson? I think you said. Yeah, um, Clint Richardson has um, done a lot of work on the Bible and the law. And uh, he's got 1,146. Oh, did, did you just do an interview with him, one of your last shows? Um, yeah, it, it, he has been on recently, exactly. Yeah, I, I, on on the Bible as well. And now I have to I've remember seen the, why. Uh, I've seen oh. the image that you shared, but I didn't see the episode. Okay, yeah. So he talks about there being a swap out of words, especially in the Old Testament, where we have the word Jehovah, but it's been swapped for all of these kings, right? So, you know, I don't know if you if you have looked into that or or see it, see that how these these you know vengeful characters, these um, ones that I I can't I can't really find God in it. I can I can twist it a little bit and and find that you, you know the the murderous God, the hating God, the jealous God, the all of that. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you get this kind of question all the time. So, what's your take on that? First of all, do you think the Bible has been doctored in that way? Or is it a misinterpretation? What do you think? I think for sure. Um, I think for sure over the years, I mean, there's different concepts about the writing of the Bible. And like one of them is called the documentary hypothesis. Okay. And they talk about, like, for instance, many of the stories in the Bible, like the story of Noah and the ark, uh, the story of Abraham going into Egypt with his wife, there's many stories that have what's called doublets, where it tells the same story twice, but the details are actually different. Yes. One tells about Noah and that it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Another one says like 120 days or something. And then one says Abraham went into Egypt with his wife and, and the Pharaoh almost took her to bed and everything. But another time it tells the exact same story, but instead of the Pharaoh in Egypt, it's King Abimelech or something like that. And when you look at the difference between those stories, in one version it calls God Elohim, and in another version, it says Jehovah Elohim or Yahweh Elohim. And so there's ideas about it not it, it being pieced together over time. And then there's a split between, there's 12 tribes, right? And then at a certain time, they split. And there's 10 tribes that go to the north. That becomes a nation called Israel. 
And then there's two tribes that stay in the south, and that becomes Judah, Jerusalem, Judah, Benjamin, and stuff. And uh, so you obviously had two different cultures that broke off, okay? And with slightly different beliefs or up to varying different beliefs and stuff. Mm -hmm. But you've even got in, in one, in Jeremiah, one of the prophets, he says, how sayest you that you are wise because you have the law of the Lord? When I tell you verily, the lying pen of the scribes has made it in vain. So it's, it's no different than today. People like the Christians are so powerfully sure of themselves because we got the word of God. And it's like, but what if just a little bit of tweaking changed some of the meaning and now you're so sure of yourself, um, but the doctrines that you're espousing might not be necessarily what it always was. Um, that, that, that one about the nature of the Old Testament God is a really huge one. There's so many different perspectives um, about it. But in truth, up until Jesus, Jesus said, nobody that, he said, all that came before me were thieves and robbers. Guys, hey, all that came before me were thieves and robbers. Nobody has known God. And if you want to know the Father, you have to look at me. So that meant, it doesn't mean that they didn't have a concept or relationship with God, but it was to their limited understanding. And Paul says, in times past, God has revealed himself to our forefathers in many diverse manners and ways through the prophets. But now he has fully manifested through the Son. So they had certain revelations of God, like the power of God or the wisdom of God or, or attributes. But man, it's just like today. What one pastor are you going to bank on 100% that has the full perfect revelation of God? That everything he says is perfect and none of his own mind or ideas or concepts are mixing in, right? So that's the whole thing. So that's the whole thing is all the prophets, all the men in the Old Testament, even that wrote about God, they all had a little bit of their own mixture and beliefs in it. So no, no expression of God as a personality, as a nature, was perfectly expressed until Jesus revealed that the true nature of God is actually unconditional love. It's actually this. Now that God was there in and through the whole Old Testament, right? But at the same time, there's this other, because if man's flesh, man's, man's God, how man wants God to be or how man sees God is also, um, you know, mixed through there. And I do believe it evolved over time. I believe just like, you know, our Bible has evolved over time. I think that same thing happened to the Jews. Nothing new in the sun. Everything happens over and over and over again. And uh, there was a reformation. Uh, I believe that there was a female aspect of God, right? I, wisdom, was there with the Lord from the beginning. I was the first of his acts. The first thing he brought forth through me, create all things. And yet there's like four verses about her in the whole Old Testament. But if you read, there was a reformation at a certain point in time where a lot of different stuff was taken out, stomped out. So in the same way that it happened to the Bible, to the Christians, it just, things happen in cycles and patterns. And um, yeah, there's different things, right? Like one verse, it says, and the Lord told David, King David, to count and number the people. 
But God had already told him, don't do that. And there's another verse, one's in Chronicles, one's in Kings. And the other verse says, and Satan told King David, you know, to, so there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of interesting contradictions and, and ideas. And, and the thing that a lot of people do is try to spiritualize it. Cause I'm big into allegory. It's all spiritual anyway. And um, so like for one, for one instance, I was big into all those conspiracies, Jehovah, that name, and I got into the concordance and I looked up, wrote down that word. And, and when you get to this one word, it's Hova. And I, I, I don't know if you know pop music, but Jay-Z for a long time, his whole thing, he was calling himself Hova and he was putting up this diamond. And, and I was like, big in conspiracy. I'm like, what is that? Why is he calling himself Hova? And I looked up the Hebrew word for Hova. And it's wild because it literally means death, wrath, calamity, destruction. And all of a sudden I'm like, what? Wow. So I'm like, so I'm like, the God of what? And so I was on that tip for a while. And then one day I'm talking to God and I'm like, I, I, how could it be a wrath? How could it be death rather? And he said, everything is a double-edged sword. There's two sides to everything. Now, don't you, haven't you had strong beliefs and things that you were so sure of at, in the past that you're glad that that died? If you was trapped in a house on fire, wouldn't you like me to destroy that door, kick it in, and come drag you out? Isn't there an element of everything that there's a righteous spin on it, even destruction? When Jesus said about the old temple, he said not one stone of this old temple will be left unturned. The, 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 the false has to be destroyed. It has to be torn down. It has to be laid waste and ruined in order for the truth to be reborn, right? So, so I don't know. You know, I'm I'm very loosely holding to a lot of stuff. Where back in the day, I was so sure I was into so many conspiracies, and and I was just like, oh my, look at that, look at that, look at that. Now, I'm just more focused on the spirit and the divine nature of that spirit that's been revealed to me through Jesus, and the invitation to come into union with it, and uh, and to just it's like it says it's like a little bit of yeast. And you knead it into the lump, and before you know it, it's making the whole thing rise. I mean, if you just focus on these couple things, it does the work for you. It really pushes out all of the confusion and the stuff that's not relevant and and all of that stuff over time. But it can be really confusing and, and weird when you're diving into it all. Right on. I'm, I'm loving your perspective. It's it's very helpful to me, mostly that you're you're not coming with all of the policies and having everything worked out and you got an answer for everything. Like, I love that you're, you're still able to be, or not still able, but, but being in that mystery to me is a much more honest position than anybody who says they have it all figured out. And, and people talk out of both sides of their mouth. They say they don't have anything figured out. And then they're so, so policy yeah. with you. And it's like, huh, really? Okay. So, but anyway, I think we, I think we covered that really beautifully. It's extremely satisfying conversation to me. I appreciate it so much. Um, the last thing I want to say is it came up a few times when you were asking or when you were talking about the throne, like when you have the courage to overcome, th that brings you to the throne of God. And, and I really saw how it's every single time you have the courage to overcome, right? That you have the courage to stop yourself from harming yourself or you have the, the, the courage to be generous or the courage to be wrong and, and take a chance and just do something for the benefit of yourself or other. And, and then, and then it's like, boom, there you are right in the throne like every yeah, single yeah. time. And that's, 
you know, also the work of healing and the freedom, how you get to see it's not we're going not we're not going to end up free eventually. It's like it's right here, right now, the moment you decide to go through yeah. rather than be stuck. Yeah, I shared with you a little bit in a conversation the other week, right, about my uh, my journey in in that revelation of the throne and how it progressively unfolded and. And how I was just blown away at how God is so different than we would ever imagine, right? The paradox of God is everything is like the opposite of what we would have thought. And so when I first saw Jesus in that verse in the book of Revelation, he's saying, to he who overcomes, I'll let sit in my throne. My religious lens is, okay, I got to overcome everything in my life. Then I'll be worthy to get in that throne. Exactly. So I've got to stop doing this. I got to change that. Maybe I can get a little bit, pray more and, you know, fast more, whatever all the things religion makes us feel like. If we do these things, then we're worthy to receive what he wants to give us. And so I, but very quickly he said, Dan, what you have to overcome is the belief that you have to overcome. And he reminded me of this verse, and it says, in this world, you'll face various trials and tribulations, but fear not, for I have overcome the world. So we are included in what he has already done. He is already the victor. He's already overcome everything, and we are included in him. That's what oneness is. That's what the, that's what the amazing thing about oneness is, is that we receive the benefit of everything he's done on our behalf. So he already overcame for us. And if we can let go of trying to do and separating ourselves from him, we enter right into our union with him and, and where he is, we are and what he is, we are. And so then the opposite, the opposite of what I thought would be right. First, I thought I got to change so that I can get worthy of him. He said, no, I've already made you worthy. If you can overcome your doubt and unbelief that you're already worthy of what I'm trying to give you and just sit down and receive the kingdom, then you can have it. So then I had the audacity because I had heard those verses my whole Christian life. We are seated in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We are seated at the right hand of the Father. But I never actually engaged it through my imagination. I never actually visualized it and saw the throne out in front of me and then like me approaching the throne and then having the audacity to sit down in Jesus's throne, like touch it, you know, and like sit in it. Mm -hmm. And when I started just like a child, like playing these games with my mind, faith and imagination, and sitting in this throne, man, like the empowerment that would come flooding through, um, the confidence, just like, wow. Because once you're there, there's nowhere left to get to. There is no higher place to go. There's no, there's no thing to accomplish. So there's full freedom in being there because you are and you are there and there's nowhere else to go and nothing else you need to do to get there. But then the challenge is learning to live from that throne. Mm -hmm. So you could have these moments and epiphanies and wow, and you're in meditation or you're just taking a time out for the day and you're just sitting there and I'm in my throne and you just imagine it. But then you're still going to have stuff that can trigger your ass to respond. Somebody says something or the car in front of you slams on the thing and things trigger you to get out of the spirit and out of your throne and back into your flesh and start responding as who you are according to the flesh. And, but the cool thing is the more that you 
practice sitting in the throne, the faster you recognize when you're in your flesh, you don't want to be there because it's better in the throne. And so, but the cool thing is the triggers reveal to you the areas of your heart that still are unseen, unchecked or unhealed or sensitive. So what it does is every time that you get triggered to come up out of that rest and out of that throne and you're defending yourself or you're reacting or responding and then you start catching yourself like, oh, you come home to the throne and you sit back down, you know exactly what area of your life to give to the Lord. Mm. And to say, wow, you know, something happened between me and my wife. You know what? Take that from me. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to keep doing that. I don't want to keep reacting. But there's no, the cool thing is there's no condemnation in Christ. There's no judgment. There's no guilt. There's no shame. It's just honest assessment. That's the real judgment of God. They say it's not like we think judge is to condemn, but the judgment of God is like a doctor who comes in and examines you to see exactly what the issue is. And he comes with a righteous judgment or an accurate assessment. And so to be able to allow the judgment of God to reveal to you accurately the areas of your life that are still able to get triggered then you know exactly how to give that you know and so it's to me learning to live from the throne more and more continuously is the refining fire because it reveals everything that ain't it yeah it's like a flashlight that's constantly on and anything that can get triggered will and that's good showing you exactly what to keep yielding to the fire and to be honest about like it says confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed like don't deny it or ignore it or pretend like be totally honest because the more fast you can be honest about what you're seeing, the more fast you can go through that transmuting, transforming process. And uh, but yeah, for me, like, man, it's been the most amazing couple of years of, of going from just considering for the first time about sitting down in that throne to getting in it, to learning to practice it, to learning to live from it. And it really changes your self-worth. It really it really changes your self-image, your self-worth which relates to, you know, finances and opportunities and relationships. And you start attracting people who are on these higher frequencies to you and everything just because you're viewing yourself. Your self-image is not based upon your flesh. Your self-image is based around, upon the revelation of Christ. And it's awesome. <laughs> well said. That's awesome. I love that. Oh, it's so inspiring to talk to you, David. It's been a couple of hours. I should let you get back to your family. It's going to be the weekend, but uh, maybe we could do this down the line sometime if you had more time. And uh, definitely hip to come to Nicaragua. I must sing with you sometime. There's uh, like it, it's really voice comes down to that tone when there's when there's truth in the voice. I can I can sense that since I've been a young child, I could always pull that out. So God bless you. It's been. I'll do a, I'll do a quick acapella on the way out of here. Oh yes, please do. Yes, yes. I, 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 am the victim no longer. I found the victor and he is much stronger than any doubt, any need, any worry inside. He's resurrected in me. Christ is alive. When you get the revelation, everything will change. When you get this revelation, nothing stays the same. Thanks for having me on. I love it. I love it. It's exactly what I got in my head already. So, <laughs> okay, fantastic. Thank you so much, David. I hope you have a beautiful rest of your day and uh, we'll be in touch, no doubt.
Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, can I really quickly tell uh, people, I just want to make sure they know about your website, Daniel David, I am. It has been in the, uh, in the notes there below, but you can go and actually listen to all of Daniel's music here. It's the only place that the music is hosted on earth right now until further notice and I'm giving some instruction, but I pulled it from platforms and stuff, but you can freely stream both of my albums. Renaissance is up at the top of the page and Rain is down at the bottom of the page and just get wrecked, man. Every song is an activation and a revelation and an impartation and uh, so many testimonies, people around the world just been really impacted by the music. And so it's my gift to you guys, just be able to go and stream it. And uh, and what yeah. a great, yeah, and what a great gift it is. Thank you so much. Totally, yeah, totally right. appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Okay, look forward to it, Daniel. Bye. Hmm. Amazing. That was fantastic. I knew it was going to be good and it's always better than what I even knew. So really good. Thank you so much for everybody coming in the, uh, in the chat and everything that you timed in, uh, chimed in with as well. Thank you. Flat smack. I appreciate that so, uh, so much. And Ian was here chiming in the whole time. And uh, thanks to snake Jones, who I don't think he's here anymore. He said he had to go, but that was super, super cool to have him as well. The God of this world, the re reality and truth are, uh, not the same. The world is our reality. The world is the truth. There you go. Nice to see you, Truth Bites. And uh, yeah, fantastic company. Scott, you were saying that's why the word of God is not written in ink. Exactly. You got it. So yeah, wonderful, wonderful. It was good stuff. Scott, super, we, we totally have to connect. I, I, I feel that all the time. And uh, I will repeat, by the way, there's a, just a ton of stuff coming up. If you didn't catch the very beginning, I've got a lot of things in irons in the fire. And let's see, we'll start with uh, today. I'm announcing that the applications for my Journey Code Coaching certification are open. And uh, there are limited spots. We're only, there's only 19 spots left. We're taking a discrete number of people. I have five apprentices working with me this year. That means that there's going to be times five the amount of support there for people, like beautiful women, total inner sanctum kind of an experience I'm, I'm uh, having already. And the training starts on September 13th. If you want to learn how to coach with archetypes and the deprogramming tools to help people actually make changes in their life. So they go from doing one thing and, uh, and, and doing another and, and, and being and living and feeling very copacetic to what Daniel and I were talking about, you know, different language, but I feel it to be the same, but it's like if bringing God, all your, all your, uh, not love and just going like, hey, can you look at this for me? I, that's often my prayer these days. Can you look at this for me? Can you just see this, shine the light of it? And uh, and especially doing that with others, the um, the the it's exponential. The relationships that people create in their vulnerability, in their willingness to bring their stuff to God and um, and heal for the purposes of helping others, for the purpose of the hero's journey the purpose of fulfilling your true nature that you were given. So it's, uh, I see, I see these people in my world transform the very most because they make the biggest commitment to themselves for that purpose and others, of course. <clears throat> so I have a link to an application that is, um, something to just let me know that you're interested. It's not, it doesn't mean you're obligated, of course, and for the enough people or for the people that get in on that application early enough, then I would 
be willing to have a, a conversation. I mean, if I have time, I will, I will talk to everybody. I don't mean to make it falsely artificial and things usually work out almost perfectly for me on an ongoing basis on that. There is no lack. And so, um, so then we can get on a phone or a zoom and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation about the training, see if it's actually right for you or not. It's not for everybody. And, uh, so yeah, it's a big, it's a big commitment, seven months, but it's definitely going to, if you cooperate and, uh, want to do the work, it's going to change your life. I will be hosting an open house about that. So there'll be more uh, details. It'll be towards the mid to end of July. The early bird deadline is July 31st for the training. And that means that you just want to give it some thought because there are substantial savings before, which I always uh, do that way. <clears throat> so yeah, there's uh, coming up in the House of Free Will. If you're not a member yet and you'd like to, there is a link to the application in the notes below. And we've got Dave Manal coming on, Trinity4, who's going to be doing an FE workshop and giving us some of the basics about how to substantiate that if you've come to your own conclusions around it or you know why it's not a globe. And very passionate, beautiful guy. He, he's uh, one of my journey code coaches, actually. That's how we met. So he's been through that training and uh, he's here for people who have, uh, you know, the uh, pain, uh, the pain of FE, the, the ridicule, the getting taken down on a regular basis, all that kind of thing. I love Trinity for you. Oh, good. You know him. Yeah. He isn't he awesome. Like he's just such a spirit, that guy. So we're super excited to have him next week, July 6th. So you need to apply for the house of free will. If you're not already a member kind of soonish, it helps me if you are able to apply sooner rather than it be a last minute kind of crunch. It is a two-step process when you apply. So there's an application. If you go to my website, bethmartins.com, just click on the application or go to freewillministry.live, same thing. Uh, fill out a few questions. Let me get to know you a little bit if we're just meeting. Even if we know each other, humor me and fill out the questions. Going to be great, Ian. I'm glad. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just, it's, to me, it's like fun, right? Like this, It's just good times. Let's learn. And uh, with people who are, are super passionate. Ben Balderson, if you're not familiar with him, he is uh, my favorite Odinist, even though we don't agree on our religious perspective, doesn't seem to matter. Love, love, uh, it lives through that. He's going to be doing a workshop on cell salts, which are very important to your health, how they fit in with what, you know, when you came to earth in the Zodiac, I know that's controversial and and I might lose some people around that, but I'm, I'm willing to do it because there's not, there's knowledge in there. And I don't think that there's anything wrong in that knowledge at all. So that's uh, Thursday, July 20, John Logan Coots is coming on the August 4th and uh, he's going to be teaching about homeschooling, how to actually teach children. Like, and this is a lost art. I know I've, I'm the first one with my shout out to Ben. Yes, Ian. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm the first one to put up my hand and like, how do you teach children, especially in the context of them having been indoctrinated? Like I, I know how to brainwash my son, but like, you know, teaching him anything, he's always done that for himself. Anything he learned, it wasn't, it really wasn't because of me. And, uh, and then a King Heroes journey, we haven't quite scheduled, but Lisa Marie Ruddle is going to be coming to do uh, another live releasing session because she just loves that she can get the benefit and others can get the benefit of seeing her do it as well. And I think that's pretty much it for now. What a great conversation. I, I did uh, get a chance to ask a lot of my questions and uh, so satisfying. I just, I live for this stuff. It's, it's really fun for me. All right, my dears. Well, I think I'm going to call it uh, for today. We're heading off to the farm tomorrow to pick berries. It's berry picking season. There wasn't enough to like, you know, for the farmer to be able to really harvest and and do their normal thing. But we can come with our buckets and fill Saskatoons. They're the most amazing berries. Like 
hats off to God for creating Saskatoons. All glory to God for Saskatoons. <laughs> All right, everyone. I hope you have a beautiful rest of your day and weekend. I look forward to connecting with you. I don't know exactly who is on next on the King Heroes journey. I don't think I have anything exactly planned. If you didn't catch the um, conversation with Brandon, oh, this will be coming up too. So yeah, Brandon did part two of the financial collapse PSYOP. And uh, it was very good, very educational from my perspective. And um, a, a fellow John Snyson, whose uh, connection I made out in Narcopoco when I was presenting at that in um, Acapulco and Narcopoco, if you if you know about the the event. And he is like mirror opposite to to Brandon, and he's saying that you know financial collapse is actually absolutely coming. All the currencies die. You have to invest in gold and silver and cryptos in order to survive it. And so it looks like Brandon and John are going to be having a conversation. John is a published author. He's very, very certain of his position. And is, you know, he looks at the numbers too. He's not one of those guys that just sits on the sidelines and listens to fear porn at all. So I'm so curious how that conversation, I asked Brandon if he would, uh, he would come for a debate. He said nobody would have a conversation. I'm like, perfect, right? That's exactly it. it well, there's there's opposing views there. And what can, what can you say? So uh, yes, have a great day. And oh yeah, Canada Day. I don't even, I can't even relate to that at all. But thank you for that. I appreciate it. But Canada is a third world country already. And uh, don't get banned, Beth. Yes, don't get banned. Right. Yes, that would be a very good idea. And I probably will be back with some more music. I got a, I got a specific... I, I couldn't even contain myself from not singing with Daniel, but I know it would just cancel his voice, right? So uh, so we might uh, find a way to maybe do that on a Zoom or something like that. And yeah, definitely, definitely uh, got to uh, get banned. <laughs> okay, so I think that's it for now. I love you guys and uh, we'll see you soon. Bye for now. <laughs>